Hey, yo, and here we go. Another episode of We Talk Music is on the air and in your ear. Once again, I am Martin, and I am joined by the king of the casters. He is Mr. Brett Podcast, and Brett, I know we're both excited to talk to the gentleman we have with us today. That's right. I mean, besides being one of the smartest people that we've ever talked to before, he's definitely very engaging, and more to the point, he's busy, and we love to talk to busy people. We have one of the one of the all-time best bassists. We have David Ellison. David, how are you? How are you? How you doing? Thanks for having me back. I well, it. we're we're super happy to have you back to talk about Ellison Soto. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we can talk about anything you want to, but uh, but Ellison Soto is the reason that we're here. And I mean, we love Jeff. He's yeah. He's such an amazing singer, and and what you guys have done together is is pretty damn rocking. So why don't you tell everybody how it came about? Well, first of all, I agree with everything you said. We all love Jeff. He's awesome, and uh, I'm pretty proud of our record. Um, it's it was killing me just sitting on it for a year, waiting for it to come out. You know, because we did the deal with Rat Pack about a year ago and um just with uh you know they do such a great job with all the bundles and the packaging and putting it together properly and um you know get you know shipping things out so if you ordered the bundle you get the bundle not you know here's the cassette oh well your cd's in the mail and you know making excuses for vinyl and i know having had a label you know that that stuff is just such a it's so annoying because Unless you own your unless you own your own vinyl manufacturing, which some people do now, um, there's just these delays, you know. So I think Rat Pack just really did a great job setting this up, and, and um, you know, I'm proud to have worked with them. I, I've been talking to those guys for Joe, the owner, for ten years, <laughs> trying to do something with him, and oh. uh, um, the moment came around. I sent him this one. I said, "Dude, I think I got one you're gonna like." And he gave me back. He goes, "Yeah, this this is really good." So. Uh, um, <clears throat> And, um, and, and it is, you know, this thing came together very quickly, very organically. And it was just, um, I think it probably, we started in early 2021, Andy Martin Jelly and I, who is the guitar player and, and for sure, you know, the fifth Beatle, if you will, (laughs) of, of the group, um, you know, he and I were writing stuff and, uh, talking about, you know, a singer and, and he just encouraged me. He said, man, just call your friend Jeff, dude. You, you know, you, you like the guy, you love his voice, you know, let's, let's, let's throw it down. And we did. And, you know, one song after another, next thing you know, we had 15, 16 songs, you know, and it was, um, and it was just, it just worked great, you know? So that's, that's, uh, I love record, you know, some records you go, well, we got to come off the road. We got to go, we're going to take two months to write. And it's like, God, it's, I hate forcing writing because it's, you know, sometimes you can hit it and, and lots of times you don't, you know what I mean? Cause writing is a very personal thing. It's not something you just do on a schedule, you know, um, the creative mojo is either firing or it's not. And if it's not, you know, it sucks if you're on a schedule to, to make it happen, you know. So this one, this was one where we didn't have a schedule. You know, as they say, you have your whole life to make your first record and about nine months to make the second one. You know, <laughs> yes. so, uh, you know, fortunately, Andy and I have a whole other, pretty much a whole other record written that uh, we were working on back in April when I went over to Europe. We worked on uh, some of it in Italy, some of it up at our studio up at uh, up in Wembley in London that we work at our friend Alessio's place. So, um, cause we'd already been bantering some stuff and had a few leftover riffs. Just even yesterday I was out by my piano playing and I picked up my guitar and fired off some riffs and, and, um, 
you know, so I said, and to Dandy, I said, here, let's throw these in the pile, you know, for the next one. So, um, you know, we, we try to, it's, I like to stay an album ahead of the current album. Let's put it that way, you know, kind of, cause that to me is how writing happens. You know, if, if you're in the groove and it's happening and sometimes it's a riff or two at a time, sometimes I'll sit here in this very room, pick up guitars and basses and freaking 10 songs fall out you know and you just want to you want to get your arms around them and capture them and stick them in a dropbox or you know I, I like to send them over to andy or send them somewhere so they're off site and someone else has a record of them you know it's like here keep it because <laughs> probably in six months i'm going to call you and go dude remember that riff that and he'll go yeah i got it right here you know so i need <laughs> someone who can kind of be responsible to help me just harness all this stuff you know so then you know uh, oh, sorry What's your uh, your relationship with Jeff like then? How long how long have you known each other? Have you been talking about working together for a while? That yeah. type of thing. Well, you know, so my my fan interest in him, of course, started with most of us with Ingbe, um, you know, Rising Force, and you know, it's funny. He he sang for a while. There's these really great uh, kind of covered tribute bands out here in the Southwest. Um, and he sang in one called Boogie Nights and, uh, and, and apparently he did very well with it. He was telling me kind of the backstory on it and, you know, they'd wear the spandex and the wigs and they'd play burnt, you know, disco Inferno. And, and I saw him in Phoenix. They're freaking great. I mean, awesome. I think some of the Steel Panther guys kind of came, they played in Atomic Punks, which was a Van Halen yep. tribute. So, you know, there's kind of a, a, like a core group of these guys that all kind of would change hats and, and, and play in these bands and they're freaking great. And they were making great money and play in Vegas and stuff. And I remember, I think it was on the Megadeth risk tour. We were flying. I think we had just done a corporate gig or something for JVC. And we were flying from the Mandalay Bay, uh, you know, it's like Southwest airlines or something flying to LA and Jeff was on the flight. And I remember he was all tricked out. He had like a nice suit on, he had his briefcase, you know, and, and, you know, here we are, we're in the trenches slugging it out, you know, and, and I see Jeff, I'm like, man, that guy freaking looks rich and awesome and like handsome looking guy. I'm like, I wonder what the hell he's doing for a living. Like he's landed on his feet, you know, and it turns out he was in the boogie nights, you know? And, um, and I didn't say hello to him. Um, I was, you know, we were all just doing our thing and, and he seemed like he was kind of a man on a mission, you know, and I was, I was kind of maybe a little scared to even say hello to him, you know? Um, but I mean, I'm truly a fan of his <laughs> big time. And so to work with him was, uh, you know, to call him up. And, and, and I've seen him because he now sings in Trans-Siberian Orchestra and, and Al Petrelli is the musical director of the, the kind of the whole thing, but certainly the West Coast uh, one that comes through. So I go out every year just to sit as a fan and watch TSL, you know. Um, so he's, I see him, you know, usually every year when he comes through, we sit down in catering after the show and break bread and have fun and talk and get caught up and everything. So um, that's kind of our our friendship now and and so that led to you know me just calling him and throwing a throwing a track by him and saying hey do you want to put something down on this and it came back you know freaking amazing as you kind of would expect it with jeff and and i think one of the things that jeff liked uh that he's that he kept saying is he would me and andy would send him a track um sometimes with a lyric or a melody uh, or an, at least a sketch or something and sometimes not you know sometimes just hey man you got anything on this go for it you know and um he would send it back to us and and we'd be just like 
you know, blown away. He was like, dude, this is friggin' awesome. He goes, well, you want me to change anything? He's like, no, it's awesome. <laughs> like, you're, you're Jeff, you know, it's like, this is what we would want. And, and um, I think for him, it was kind of breath of fresh air. Uh, he does a lot of soul uh, session work. Jeff does, you know, singers can do a lot of stuff. I mean, they could do jingles and commercials, freaking video games and, you know, all kinds of crazy voiceover. I don't know if they do ESPN or what they do. You know I mean? The singers, you know, when you have a voice, you can kind of be a voice actor, you know, you can do all kinds. So I know Jeff's always busy. Every time I call him, he's busy singing on something. So uh, I think to make a record together, he enjoyed, you know, us throwing some stuff at him and, and not being all critical and just going, man, we're creating this together. This is like our sound, you know, it's not trying to fit you into us. This is, this is a brand new day. It's a brand new sound. And, um, you know, let's, let's create some magic together. So that's, I think that you can hear that, that enthusiasm on the album. I'm always curious, you know, as, as to whether or not you're writing towards a singer's strengths or you're expecting the singer to come up to the music you've, you've given them. I, with Jeff, it's not much of a, an issue though, because he can do pretty much anything with his voice. You know, that's a really good point that you bring up because oftentimes you do that. You know, you are writing uh, in other groups I've been in and other settings. You know, I write a lot of lyrics and especially if you're writing a vocal mel melody. So you're, you're going, OK, is this within the range of what of where their voice is? That's important to consider. And is it something they can stand on stage and sing with conviction? Like, is are they really going to sing this or not? You know, um, so that's a, that's a great point. And with with Jeff. Um, I think lyrically, the thematically, the record was right up his alley, you know, this kind of very European power metal kind of thing, which I was excited about. I love that music, you know. So to me, um, you know, that I think that part was was pretty uh, right on point. And then um, and then as far as range, you know, um, you know, all this stuff, I think we're, I think we're in tune down a half step E flat, which is pretty standard these days. Um, you know, Jeff could sing probably everything in standard, um, you know, but uh, Vacation in the Underworld, I think it's down in D, just that's, that's where it was recorded. Um, so Jeff's got an ability to move around within a pretty wide range vocally and, and not sound strained, either higher or lower, you know, so um He's he's a freaking workhorse, man. I mean, he can just you can just let him off the leash and go, and he he nails it. Well, and when we've talked to Jeff too, he talks about uh, especially background vocals and how much that means to him, and to be able to like layer those in. And and I mean, he's so good at that. So like, I think just what he brings to the table is so amazing. Big time. No, a hundred percent. In fact, so the first track I sent him was writing on the wall and he sent back, um, he sent that back with the harmonies on. I was like, geez, man, this is like, you know, signed, sealed, delivered here. You know, this is done. And then as he kept doing the other songs, same thing, he'd keep, keep constantly be layering in these really cool harmonies, which is just part of record production, to be honest with you. You know, um, you know, most records I've worked on in the last 20 years, you know, the, oftentimes there's another singer hired to sort of ghost some harmonies in the background, you know. Um, and uh, in fact, it's funny when, when um, you know, there's vocal teams, you know, I read these kiss books and Gene and Paul apparently were singing on sessions right as they were getting kiss started. And I remember uh, in 1980, 
eight, eh, probably 87. Jay Reynolds was a good friend of mine and he was in Malice, right? So he had called me up. He says, hey, why don't you and Mustaine come down and sing background vocals on the Malice album? They were making a Malice album for Atlantic. And it was when I had, uh, uh, and Max Norman was producing. And, um, and the other vocal team in town in LA that sang on a lot of the stuff back in those days were the guys from the band Black and Blue. Which oh, yeah. was uh, Jamie St. James, is that his name? Uh, yep. Jamie St. Clair, and and uh, and Tommy Thayer, uh, who was who was the guitar was he the guitar player in Black and Blue? Maybe. Yep, that's that's right. Yeah, yeah totally. So uh, and it's funny where my son was. He loves to go to old bookstores and record shops. And one day he we've got this old bookstore. He comes up and he goes, "Hey, Dad, check out this album. It's the Malice License to Kill album." He goes, "Your name is on here." That you said, I was like, "Oh my God, let me see this." And there it was. It was like David Allison, Dave Mustaine, Tommy Thayer, like backing vocals on Chain Gang Woman and I don't know one other License to Kill, whatever the other song was. I remember it was like this late night midnight session at at uh, I don't know Wally Hyder. I forgot where it was, what what the studio was, but um, you know, so it's it's. Uh, you know, it's there, there's guys that, that do this all the time, you know, and, and so Jeff, you know, it's nice when you get a guy who can self accompany himself. In fact, when we did the tour uh, last month over in, in Italy, um, you know, that was one of the things is I'm kind of learning the songs because I'd been away from the record for about a year. It'd been a year since we'd recorded and written all this stuff. I'm going, oh, my God, I got to kind of get this back in my psyche again and just get the muscle memory back and um and i was listening going oh my god there's a ton of vocal work on here and 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 i my tendency is to always go up to the mic i always say i'm like the michael anthony guy you know i had the kind of the higher harmonies and stuff and pretty quickly we found a spot you know andy sings good um and you know i i was kind of naturally blending in pretty good with jeff you know and i didn't sing that stuff on the record jeff sang it all but you know live to sort of make it work kind of finding the key harmony lines that were neat, that were helpful to kind of lift the choruses up a little bit and um so we you know just within a week we found a pretty good little uh vocal um you know vocal accompaniment between the two of us that that seemed to work really well so that was nice you know if we do any more live shows it's nice to know we you know vocally we we match as well now you talk about the idea of you know if you do more live shows i mean do you kind of class this as a i guess because i mean you've also got the lucid you've got kings of thrash you've got so many projects going on so then like how do these projects kind of stack up for you? Like, do you just kind of put one in the queue and then, and then when the next one comes up, you put that one in, or do you look at one as kind of like, this is more of the, you know, focus. Pretty much <laughs> exactly what you said, <laughs> you know, whatever one the phone rings for, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, <laughs> I guess it's like, it's like being here. It's, it's like, like the dispatch, right? Our Kings of Thrash, do we help you? All right. You know, uh, dieth, may we help you? You know what I mean? Uh, so it's, uh, no, it, it is. And things kind of find their own natural uh, rhythm. Um, and I, I say that with Jeff because we went into this knowing, look, he's heading into a Trans-Siberian, you know, season right now, which is takes a good, you know, probably almost three months between the rehearsals and, you know, it's two months of, of uh, you know, that November and December. So, you know, he's kind of out of commission, certainly for the fourth quarter of every year. Um, you know, there's some cruises, those are kind of cool. There's these summer festivals that happen. So, you know, the, the door is open, you know, for us to keep doing stuff, but there's, you know, the reality we know of, of, um, 
of, you know, when and where and how to make those things work, you know? And, and like you said, yeah, I mean, we fired off Kings and Thrash and that, that isn't intentionally a, you know, looking to be an annual touring uh, group, you know, um, to do that. And then, you know, the Dieth records coming out next June. So we'll be out certainly supporting that for Napalm, you know, doing some more. And that's, I think probably will live largely overseas, maybe more so than here in America. So, um, you know, and so all these things, I mean, you just kind of never know which one hits. And, you know, I don't look at any one of these as a project. Um, I mean, the recording of the record is a project um, that in itself, the writing, recording, mixing, mastering, getting it out. But, you know, once it's out, I, I go into every one of them going, hey, if we're having fun and we're making great music, um, that's half the battle. And then if the public likes it, all right, now we'll see if there's any interest for us to keep doing more, you know? So to me, they kind of, they all go in kind of calculated stages of, then, then you kind of know where to invest, you know, the time and the energy into it. With, uh, with the Lucid, how is Drew doing health-wise? You know, he's great. And thank goodness that was just a quick surgery for him. It was It was about six weeks of oh shit, what is this? Oh my God, I hope you're okay. You know, but he knew pretty quickly from the diagnosis, they were pretty disarming. Um, obviously when the C word comes up, you know, you'd never know. Um, but they were, they said, look, I think this one's going to be kind of um, localized surgery should do it. Fortunately it did. Unfortunately it happened right in the month when we had shows, you know, we had shows coming out. We, uh, we actually have a, an EP we're going to pop out here probably before the end of the year. And we we're going to even drop that. So we kind of had this whole thing ramping up because that was our little window um, to, you know, to do some stuff with it. And then once, you know, once his health condition came in that we just, we had to pull all that off the, off the deck, you know, for him to just go through the surgery and, you know, he healed up pretty quickly within a couple of months. So he's doing great. He's fine. He looks great. He's healthy. Um, we talk regularly. So he's good. Um, I always feel bad for Drew, though. We were even talking about it because it's like you know, he's had a lot of false starts in the business. You know what I mean? He's gotten right to the starting line. And then, you know, when they fire the gun, out comes the bang thing. Right. You know, it's like it's like, oh, man, really? Not again. You know, so he's He's such a good dude. He's such a talented, uh, creative guy and um, is just super sweet and just just a lovely guy, you know. So, you know, for me, um, I'm always willing to invest time into the good people, you know, that uh, that uh, there's enough shitty people who get chances that you go, why him? Why them? You know what I mean? So, so it's kind of like when a good one comes along, you're like, God, all right, this guy deserves at least a shot here. You know what I mean? So, so, um, so Drew's been a good, good friend. And like I say, just a super good creative partner as well. I'm real glad to hear about his health. And, uh, you know, I was being Halloween season. I was looking up to watch dwellers. I couldn't find it on any streaming service or anything. I'm like, I gotta, I guess I gotta order the Blu-ray, get that thing in there. You should probably order the Blu-ray. That's a good idea. Um, but you know, Drew always he'll hit me, dude. We're on, I mean, there's so many of these streaming services. I mean, I know the big ones, Netflix, Hulu, and you know, Apple and Amazon and stuff, but then there'll be these other ones that come along and goes, dude, we're on this streaming service, which is awesome. And I'm like, dude, I've never heard of it. I'll take your word for it. I guess that's <laughs> where all the 
spooky horror people go is over there. So he's <laughs> he's he's hip to all those outlets now. I'm one of those horror, you know, hardcore horror fans. So I mean, this is this sounds like a great movie for me. You know, I mean, it yeah. sounds like yeah. it, it's just. Uh, I mean, the reviews and everything on it have been terrific. Yeah. So I mean, I can't wait to get a get my eyes on it. Yeah, you'll you'll like it, and it's very you know Drew's you know, obviously at the center of the story, and it's just such a he's you know it's there's as much as he's acting, I think any great actor, um, you know there there's a little bit of their own humanity that comes through it, and and that's very charming. You'll you'll see that for sure. Some of the Drewisms <laughs> that are coming through, very cool. How how difficult is it to kind of. I guess keep up with your Rolodex of friends, so to speak. Do you do you like think about that on a regular basis, or do you kind of do you kind of just let it happen? Well, one thing that was interesting is when I was looking through my phone and I realized I have many chiropractors in there around the world <laughs> as I do musician friends. I was like, oh shit! Like fifty years of playing the bass has caught up with me, you know. But uh, um plus i exercise and work out a lot and golf and stuff you know but um um you know it, it's funny because you know most of the friends in my phone book even when i was in freaking middle school you know uh were mus- they were my, my musician friends you know i always had a drummer a guitar player and some other musicians and they were always the people i'd call and hang out with and sit around and bullshit with all the time and it's still that way um and you know it's i guess probably what it hit me the most was probably 2020 when we did that ellison no cover record because the pandemic had just hit everybody's home uh you could just sense you know this kind of dread like oh my god because none of us knew what that really was how long it was going to be it was kind of like 9 11 you're like oh my god what is this what happened what's the severity of this? And, you know, you don't know. And, and so, you know, we just got to work um, with my band and, and, and just started carving out a, a, a solo or, I mean, a, a, a covers record. Um, and the songs I went for, you know, they weren't the usual kind of living after midnight, cold gin, you know, kind of the, the, the more popular bar standards. I went for the deeper cuts, you know, um, and went into, you know, Sheer Heart Attack and Love Me Like a Reptile, and Sweet F.A. And, you know, these these like deeper, deep cuts on on the on the cool albums, you know, BTO, Not Fragile. And, you know, what's kind of cool about it is it kind of made that record timeless. Um, and and then was the thing is like, well, let's start calling our friends up. They're all home. <laughs> we know that no one's out on the road. And fortunately, most people have some sort of home recording uh, setup that they could, you know, plug and play. And so, you know, called Charlie Benante and Jason McMaster and Frank Hannon from Tesla and even Al Jorgensen from Ministry got got him participating on stuff. And and, um, you know, which allowed me then an open opportunity for me to go in the studio and, and write with him. Me and Billy Morrison worked on uh, a couple of tracks with Al for the latest ministry album, which to me was a bucket list, man. I mean, I love ministry. I love Al. I've gotten to know him as a, as a good friend. And um, so for me to participate on a ministry record, that's like top of the freaking bucket list for me. And that, that all went down as a result of, you know, just being friends with musicians. Yeah. It's, I, I think it's always interesting because I mean, we know from the pandemic, I mean, we've, we've talked to so many people and I think that all of them wound up, you, you either go into a hole 
or you kind of, you know, try to branch out and you just kind of do as much as humanly possible. So, I mean, yes, I think now we're seeing all this, uh, this creativity just kind of explode upon the world because everybody who was away now has, is putting this out. There was nothing. I mean, that's what happened with yeah. me. That's what, you know, I mean, look at you guys, you guys got a podcast. A lot of people decided, you know, we want to hang out. It's like, it's like, we, we want to be connected and, and uh, you know, so no, you're right. It, 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 I think it, I, I think it brought us together. I mean, our industry, it was impacted probably first and probably the hardest. Uh, I mean, obviously the medical community too, naturally um, and the frontline workers, but I mean, just from a, being able to just do business. I mean, you know, there were no concerts, everybody was shut down, everything was shut down, you know? So, you know, I think when you just sort of stay occupied and you stay busy and you're always moving forward and being productive and putting your talents to some good use to further things and help other people and you pull other people into it and you collaborate, that's always a win. You know, um, like you say, just sitting at home with your head in your hand, beginning all morose. I mean, it's freaking depressing. So, um, you know, look, pick up the guitar, call a buddy, write some lyrics, write a song, whatever, do anything, you know? And I think that's, and and again, I think that's kind of the season you're seeing in my life. There's, I've been working on a lot of stuff and it all kind of started to trickle out, come out at the same time. Um, you know, technically you wouldn't probably set up four things to come out in the same year, but it's, you know, now that you say it, it kind of is that it's sort of this COVID sort of the COVID calendar, you know what I mean? This is all the stuff I've been working on for the last, you know, couple of years and it's now all popping out at the same time. You know, I mean, I think that it's always probably a great feeling when a new album comes out, but I mean, just be able to put the focus where it should be on the music, you know? Uh, I mean, that must feel great. It it is, you know, and you know, I've I it, it's come to me that you know, again, when you're in making the record, it's your record because you're that's what you're focused on. But when you put it out, it becomes your record, and then it's I don't know, you know, it's kind of up to, um, you know, the the I hate to say court of public opinion because it, it's never a court. It's it's just sort of the generalship of. I don't know. Do people like it? <laughs> do they like what we did? Was it, was it, and, and, you know, the, I think the records that I'm the most satisfied with, I really don't even care if anybody likes it. I don't care if anybody buys it. I, I go to bed at night going, man, that was a freaking awesome experience, man. And those tunes are killer. Um, I mean, I've, I've had some records that sold a lot that I was kind of like, wow, I didn't expect that, you know, and then there's other records that I've put poured my heart and soul into. And just for whatever reason, the timing, the record company, it's like, huh, I wish that would have commercially done better, but I don't give a shit, man. Cause I still put it on in my car and it, it freaking rocks my world. And, you know, when I can be a fan of my own music, um, I, I think is, is that's, that's, that's a big win, you know, because, uh, you know, we, we are in an industry where, you know, numbers do matter, you know, especially if you're trying to make a living from it. So it's nice to have these moments where it's like, yeah, the numbers aren't as important as just the personal satisfaction. And I think with the Ellison Soto stuff, we found a nice, we hit both, you know, we had some good first week numbers and, and, uh, you know, especially when you're breaking something new, I mean, who knows if, if, if it's ever going to, you know, uh, hit the, you know, hit the radar and, 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 um, you know, it's so, I, and this one did. So I was pretty happy about that. I mean, even with, uh, 
even with established names like yourselves, I mean, it must be difficult to, to start a new project. I mean, you, you do never know. But I mean, at the end of the day, I guess all you can do is put out the best music you could possibly put out. And you did that. I mean, I got to tell you, my favorite track is uh, Lone Star. Love that track. Oh, wow. Love Jeff, Jeff, that's probably one of Jeff's favorite ones, too. He keeps bringing <laughs> yeah. that one up. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that, uh, yeah. The reason is also really good. And it's just yeah. but the whole album is and it's it's got so many layers. It's got so many. It's not one thing. It's yeah. so many things. And yet it fits together as a whole. And uh, yeah, I mean, you should really be so proud of the album. Thank you. I and, and I very, I very much am. It's 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 a record I listen to just as a fan. You know, I don't listen to it even so much as as me being in it. I kind of detach and listen. And same way I drive down the street and listen to a freaking Maiden or a Kiss record or something. You know what I mean? I listen to it <laughs> just as a fan and go, yeah, it's a freaking good record. I like this. <laughs> Do you think it's maybe easier to do that uh, because you're the bassist per se, as opposed to the singer? Because I know that some singers, it's it's hard to listen to themselves like later on. But but I think that maybe like I don't know playing the playing the instrument is that easier? Yeah, I mean, I, I you raise a good point because you know um, the sound of your own voice is is always it can be very off-putting to, to many people, you know, uh, whether they hear themselves talk or they hear themselves sing, Oh my God, I can't listen to that. Or, um, and I've worked with some people who are very self-conscious about their voice and it's like, dude, you sound great. Just don't worry about it. Let's go. They, you know, they love what you're doing. Let's just go. Um, but it is, it's very personal. Cause again, let's face it. You don't like a guitar tone. You can get a different guitar, you know, or buy a foot pedal that changes the tone. You know, if you don't like the sound of the bass, put some different strings on it, whatever. But, um, you know, your voice is, is the only instrument you have and you're born with it and, and you can you can train it and you can manipulate it and, and learn to do some pretty cool things with it. But it, it, it you know, you can't change it. <laughs> you can't it can't put your voice in here and it sound like you. If I want to sound like you. I got to kind of manipulate my voice, you know, to go into a character. And that's why, you know, I think when you work with a real pro like Jeff, you know, it's, 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 it's very, it's humbling for me because I, I sing, you know, but I'm not a singer like him, you know, and it, and it reminds me, go, man, if I really wanted to get in that arena, I'd have to step up and do a lot of work. Um, and <laughs> it's never really been required of me. So I guess I haven't maybe put some of that time in on it, but uh, um, you know, you know, Jeff you just sits there and just harmonizes. And I mean, he's got his whole world, is as dialed in as as you know mine would be as a as a you know a top level bass player as as a guitar player would be as a top level player who walks in his gears dialed his pedal boards there his amp sounds great he's 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 a man on a mission ready to kick some ass and you know jeff walks in like that as a vocalist you know and um and he's tough you know he's he's you know, he takes care of his voice but you know it's 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 nice to you know have a guy that's uh you know, he's, he's, he's a freaking machine, that guy, you know. There must have been some tracks where he, you got it back and you went, I can't believe he pulled that off, you know. And there's, there's, I guess. There's some of those screams on there. That, yeah. 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 It's like, yeah that, I mean, and he would even so say, cool. he goes, man, I've been singing all day. I'll see how I do on this one. And sometimes he'd go, man, I don't, I, my voice is a little shot. Let me take it in the morning when my voice is fresh. And other times he'd send something over and it's like, God, you know what, your voice being a little raspy is freaking perfect. I mean, I don't know if your voice is tired or if that's just the way it came out. You know, that's the thing about singing is, 
and I even hear it on records when I when I know the singer, you know, because um, you can tell. It's, and sometimes haven't cut vocals myself with my own voice. You know, you don't want it to be real clean. You don't want it to be real perfect. You want some dirt, and some rasp, and you want some of that stuff in there. So, you know, sometimes getting a a worn voice is 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 great. Sometimes you want it super clean. So, but Jeff is, you know, he's on. He really knows his voice well. He knew when he was. Um, he was very self-critical, so he he knew how to give us, you know, the the best performance that was right for the song. So then, when you're playing the bass, I guess, like, and especially going into the all the different projects, like, do you think about it, like, like mentally think about like a style of bass, or do you just kind of go in and be like, okay, this is how I play? You know, I think I'll give you a little example. So um, we did the no cover record, which on one hand, the parts were already written because they're just cover songs. Right. But I'm a fan of all these guys. Right. All these bass players that I'm now re-recording their parts for the you know no cover record. So I'm really deep diving nuances and passing tones and little you know notes that transition the lines. Um, and yet, you know, look my name on the door it's gonna sound like me i don't necessarily need to make it sound like them it's funny the bachman turner overdrive not fragile that was one of the last tracks i cut and the bass line is pretty simple but it's one of the first bass lines i ever heard as a kid that record came out in 1974 um i didn't pick up a bass until i think the summer of 96 or i'm sorry of 76 so I kind of sat with that album for at least a year, you know, before I even got a bass in my hand. So it's got these really smooth, flat wound sounds. So I auditioned, I don't know, five or six basses here until I found it. And I actually ended up using this kind of a cheap music man. It's the, it's, I have it here, it's the Stingray, it's the sub. I had a five string one. And for whatever reason, that one just had the strings were right the 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 sustain on the note was just right it didn't rattle because i couldn't use like a thrash metal jackson kind of tone you know what i mean it needed to be real just i wanted to emulate it so i mean those are the details i was i was just deep diving on and then after that record was done drew hit me and he said hey man you want to play on a song for me and which turned out which became the lucid uh, the song hair uh really simple kind of simple three chord cheap trick kind of tune and i was just like right let me grab the silver jackson plug it in right just kind of three chord and it was you know it's just kind of like just sort of 90s modern rock um and was very refreshing because i didn't have to think really too much and i'm creating my own line to their song because uh, it was Mike and Drew's song at that point. And, and then he just kept sending me more songs. And that's basically how, how we developed the lucid, you know, then it became our, our band, our songs um, that we worked on together. But um, you know, so I, I think as I listen back now to the Ellison, so then, you know, what, six months later, I went into the Ellison Soto record. So um, my chops were pretty freaking dialed, man. I was, I was pretty, pretty, you know, tightened up because I was playing and recording and making records all the time through 2020 and 2021. Um, and now I go back and I listen to even the Ellison Soto record and I'm like, wow, those are some cool freaking bass lines right there. Like even I'm impressed, right? <laughs> I'll go, 
that was pretty, what did I play there? That was pretty good. Like, I was surprised I even <laughs> thought of it, you know? And, um, and some, and like, even like, uh, even STN, which is a video that we just put out. Um, I was going, God, those are some pretty hip little changes right there, you know? So that's what I'm saying, you know, to be a fan of my own work and kind of be impressed by something I did, um, you know, a year later, listening back to it um, is, that's, that's a pretty good feeling, you know, to be, be inspired by myself. <laughs> How many bases do you own and do you have any favorites and why? Well, there's probably at least a dozen at the house. And I don't know. I, I, I usually have about 50 or 60 at any given time, you know, and I'm not a collector. I, I don't, I don't buy them and collect them. I, I, to me, it's a work tool. I buy them because I like them. They either look cool you know, like I bought a Rickenbacker. I actually traded a base for a Rickenbacker because I always really wanted one because I haven't had one since I was a kid. I had a really cool red one with the checkered binding, which I now mm. realize was really a rare, special base. Um, I had a Gibson EBO and my dad bought me a Dan Armstrong, one of those acrylic bases. He liked it more than me. He thought it was really cool. It sounded like shit. It's, I could hardly <laughs> use it. But he, my dad was really impressed. So, um, he bought it for me. And then I traded to Gibson <laughs> EBO. I think I did. I can't remember where the hell it went. So I think I traded it at a little music store in Jackson, Minnesota. Um, and uh, ironically, it's partly where my coffee store is. It's Cat's Hog Heaven, which is funny that that used to be the music store. I used to buy records <laughs> and bases at. Um, and so I traded that for this, this used Rickenbacker 4001. It was a red, the red sunburst. And then... Um, they always had Music Man. It's funny, the store, they had Music Man stuff right as it first came out. And that was Leo Fender after he sold Fender. He took some time off and then he created uh, Music Man. Um, and I, I could never, they were always just a little above my price point. And I loved the Stingray. I just fucking loved it. And, and then, so now I finally have a couple. And the funny thing about the Stingray is they don't work at all for thrash metal. I mean, they're just the wrong, the pickup's in the wrong place. They just it's the wrong sound. So that's why it's funny that I was able to use it on the no cover record. You know, it's like, God, finally I can record with this bass. You know? <laughs> uh, and it's funny. I recorded the very first bass line I probably ever heard that I knew it was a bass, which is BTO, you know? So, uh, um, you know, all these bases, they all have a story. They all have a place in my life. You know, they, uh, even if they're in the closet, there's a reason, you know, and then one day I'll just, I'll pull it out. I'll unzip the gig bag. What the hell is it? Oh my God, it's the freaking fretless fender. All right, let me pull that out. And then I started using that. That's what I used on Rise to Win, those bass licks on the very beginning at the, the last the last tune on the uh, Ellison Soda record. I was like, all right, let me, let me shred some fretless licks, you know, so uh, they all have a place. How how difficult is it then? How much time does it take you to kind of choose your bass per song? Like, do you sometimes just go into the closet, pull one out and be like, oh, I'm just going to try this and see what happens? Totally. I mean, I've got I've got three kind of three or four go to recording bases. I've got um, a, a Spectre NS2 that I bought back in 92 when I lived in L.A. I bought it out of the newspaper, out of the recycler. Um, I have a couple of mod one cut two modulus is one in particular a silver one um that record it's pretty plug and play uh i've got one fender p bass that's a plug and play um i've got a couple of jacksons that i know will work for you know kind of particular tones and stuff so it kind of depends on what it is that i'm recording 
um, I'll walk in with those bases. And sometimes the ones that I use live and perform with, they're not the ones that I record with. You know, there's, there's just uh, certain instruments that just record well. Um, and I, and I like them to kind of plug and play, you know, you can walk in, like if I'm recording like some, you know, death metal thing in a whack tuning, like the diet stuff is in C sharp. So instead of tuning things down, which makes the strings really floppy and every, no one's happy. The bass isn't happy. The strings are upset. The freaking speakers don't like it. It's just shitty, you know? And it makes me play weird because I'm trying to control elements that, that are not natural. So I, I actually tune a five string bass, which the low string would be a B I'll tune it up. Um, and actually, I'm sorry, it's, it's in C, it's, it's dice in C. So I tune up a half step and it's now in C, right? So I take a, a, a five string bass and I tune it up, which makes the string super tight. They're really taut. So now, man, a string that, that's tight, you can hit it and it freaking really, it, it spanks and it really sizzles and the strings sing well and everything, all the mechanics of the instrument are like, oh, they're happy. You know, strings would rather be tighter than looser. You know, so <laughs> not so on guitar. Sometimes you tune guitars down and distortion and you get that Tony Iommi, you know, or that really dark Sepultura kind of sound to it. But with a bass, man, basses, because the frequencies are so low, I find, you know, keeping things taut. That, that's why when guitar players start dropping tunings and, and they're, I don't know, put your finger on the third fret. And I'm like, ah, doesn't make sense to me because I'm formally trained as a musician. I want to know what the note is, where it is. And, why it is you know it just drives me crazy i don't have perfect pitch i got good relative pitch but fuck it just drives me crazy so i i have to kind of go into it knowing me i got to know the music you know it isn't just about playing the the the, the part i gotta i gotta know the, the the it's like speaking a language you know it's when you're new at a language you just kind of you know see si, senor you know muchas gracias you say this sort of lines but when you know a language you know the adjectives and the adverbs and you know you the puncture you know you kind of know all the all the stuff and that's how i am with music it's like i, I know music so i want to i want to play it as a as a i want to speak it as a language you know because i think it's better heard by the listener when you when you speak it properly yeah yeah the theory as opposed to just well well i mean it's it's like describing where something is to somebody and, and using um like street names instead of just using uh landmarks as references <laughs> exactly exactly i don't know it's it's over that way yeah. uh, you know what i mean so yeah no, it's, it's, and, and I, I don't i don't geek out totally on theory as much but it's just as a as a player i i you know, I tell people, young, younger musicians, this, I go, man, don't just learn your instrument, learn music, you know, learn, learn, you know, and that's why it's good to play other instruments, you know, and if you're a bass player, learn how to play guitar. Now you'll understand how the bass relates to the guitar part, you know, play some drums. Now you'll understand how the bass play relates to the drumming, you know, learn piano. Now you'll understand harmony and you'll, 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 things will, you can visually see things different on the piano. So I think it's good to just, you know, be uh, be at least somewhat adept at other instruments because you'll understand how they how they correlate to the other instruments in a in like a group or ensemble setting. Yeah, it's bring, it brings up the idea of being in the pocket with the the drummer and the bassist, and I think most of us who don't really even understand what that means, it just sounds cool. <laughs> you know. Yeah, you know, the pocket is a tough thing to describe 
but man, when it's going on, you feel it and you can really tell, you know, and, uh, you know, it's funny. I learned that over the years that, you know, rock guys, we tend to kind of rush and be ahead of the beat. And we're always kind of like, cause there's this energy and this angst in it. So to lay back and just be in the pocket and learn to just not be in a hurry, how big that sounds, you know, and how, how huge that is. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, I mean, there's, been a lot of these Berkeley college, you know, zoom calls and these various, you know, you read them in guitar magazines and stuff. And, you know, what is the pocket? What is groove? You know, and it, 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 it is, it's, it's, you know, it when you're in it, you know, it when you're <laughs> feeling it and hearing it, but it's not something you can really write out and describe. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of like you go outside. Is it cold out or not? I don't know. Give me a jacket. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, you, you, you know, when you're in it. Yeah, it's probably the same as like as good harmony vocals. Like you know it when you hear it, but you can't necessarily like. I mean, it's not so easy to describe. Like, okay, you got to get you know, do this range. But once you're in it, then it's just like, oh yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it. You know what? I grew up with that too because I guess as a kid, you know, seeing things like you know Sonny and Cher and Donnie and Marie, you know, these TV shows, you know, and then hearing on the radio Sticks and Sweets and Bachman Turner Overdrive and then you know even Kiss shout it out loud and things like that. You know, with these just really, you know, men singing these really great harmonies was really this whole world opened up to me. Um, and, you know, when you hear it, you know, I mean, Styx is very proud that they don't tune down and at their age, they can still sing everything in April yeah. 40. Um, you know, we just did it with Kings of Thrash. You know, we kept everything in standard tuning and it's like, man, there was some stuff that was, that was pretty high. And I can hear it even talking, you know, my voice has dropped and 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 pitch just naturally getting older you know so i have to take care of it i gotta warm up i gotta always strengthen it and keep it keep it healthy it's like going to the gym it's a muscle you know so you gotta always be working on it to keep it to keep it healthy and you know younger guys can can hit that stuff you know as we get a little older it's a little harder you know so i was i was noticing it i was like yeah i gotta take the time to warm up you know to hit some of these pitches that i you know naturally am the background singer on yeah, we just talked to Michael Sweet, and he just talked about how they they're tuning down half a step in Striper now, just to just to make things just that little bit easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, you know, it, it, look, it is what it is, man. I mean, look, people want to hear the songs, whatever it takes, man. Go out and sing songs, and you know, if you need some aid or assistance, who cares? <laughs> you know, who gives a shit. I mean, for the most part, we're you know we're we're doing it, we're playing it, we're doing it, and it's it's firing off the way that it is, you know. So it's, uh, but uh, yeah, it's like we're well, gonna stop touring because you can't tune down a half step. It's like you know, like I say, E E flat is kind of the standard. Most most gigs you just sort of show up on if they're even like all star jams and stuff. Everybody's E flat. I mean, and and you do it kind of partly for the singers. It's easier for them to hit, you know, hit those pitches. So then, you know, I, uh, I know we're coming close to our time with you, but uh, I just have a couple more questions, if that's okay. Sure. Um, so that when it comes to like your other endeavors, you know, like the business, I mean, you talked about the label, but then, you know, the books and stuff like that, like how, how much are you keeping active in, in a lot of that kind of thing now? You know, I, it's funny, the, the label thing, I've kind of repositioned it back to where, what it was always kind of in my thought life was, to have it there to put things out for um, the things that I want to do, you know, whether developing other artists or uh, like I put out something on combat earlier this year, it was um, 
a song called The Raven by Fatal Opera, which was the band that Gar Samuelson was in. And uh, the singer had found um, these uh, tracks that, that Gar had recorded. They were kind of demo tracks. And he was able to kind of shape them up. Some of the tapes were damaged, but he was able to put them together and make them sound really good. And on one track, uh, I played bass and Chris Poland played guitar. So it was kind of posthumously working with Gar Samuelson, you know, the three of us working together. And Gar and Chris grew up together. They were dear friends. So uh, I put that out just digitally, just put put it under the combat name. Um, you know, so little things like that are are fun to have the label for, you know, Um you know, so it's, you know, and a lot of things you can do these things yourselves digitally and stuff. So, you know, that's, that's kind of where I have that at. And as far as the book and writing, I mean, I've, you know, when ideas hit, it's kind of like writing a song. When an idea hits, I got a little folder here. I've got little chapters of stuff stored away. Um, you know, and who knows when those ever become a reality, you know, but uh, archive them and throw them in a folder for another day. <laughs> and then, uh, and then just for fun, uh, do you go golfing with Alice much? You know, I don't. In fact, we were talking because our sons are friends, too. And I actually put a record out for uh, for Dash uh, a couple years back. So Dash and I are buddies. So Dash and Roman are, are friends and they'll talk. And I mean, we got to get our dads together and play golf. We were going to do it last year. And then, I don't know, it was too friggin' hot. I mean, Alice is out every day, you know. So uh, <laughs> it was it was just I was like, dude, it's just too hot out, man. So uh, so uh, probably we should reconnect on that and go do that. You know, father son golf date. <laughs> yeah that guy like like once once we're in our 70s you know that guy can still work it so I mean, yeah i mean it's just it's it's kind of part of who he is he sings he plays golf <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's inseparable you know it's what he does he's a awesome. good example though yeah well david thank you so much we've had such a great time talking to you again and uh and thank always you. in engaging guest please tell everybody how they keep up with keep up with you and of course ellison soto and everything else that you do sure uh david is kind of the central place um facebook uh, of course is just david ellison also ellison soto um kings of thrash has its own page so does diet so does lucid and so they've all got their own pages they're all they're all pretty closely knit together so um, but yeah, Ellison Soto um, stuff is, of course, now that the record's out, it's it's out. It's available digitally everywhere and YouTube videos and everything. So have fun. Be a fan. <laughs> well, and I, we I, are I, fans. Yeah, we absolutely. Fans, yeah. And I urge so everyone. We're cheering for you. We appreciate <laughs> you. We're with you. You know, thank you sure. for the interview. You've been awesome. Cool. Brett, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, yeah, I urge everyone to go out and listen to uh, Vacation in the Underworld and because uh, because it's fucking awesome. So, so really, I, mean, I don't have anything else to say, but, but David, thank you so much for your time and we wish you all, all right, the best. All right, gentlemen. And we'll talk to you later. Thank you. Good to see you. All right. Yep. See Bye you. now. Bye. Bye-bye. Yep.